Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Glad to have you, yeah, all of you, joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless. And if at all possible, find the obvious buried in the absurd. Let's go. In all full disclosure, I don't know, and I have no way of knowing when you're listening to this podcast. That's the great thing about this technology. When I started on terrestrial radio back in 19, never mind what year it was, long time ago, uh, that was not available. You just listened to the radio and that was the end of it, unless you recorded it. Do you remember being a kid waiting for your favorite song to come on the radio and you had a cassette you could shove in there and be ready, or you'd sit there with a cassette in the radio with your finger on record? waiting for that song. Anyway, technology these days allows everything to stick around forever, for the better or for worse. Hopefully, uh, by you sticking with this show over the years, and so many of you have, uh, it's for the better. But I am um, taping this at mm, 4.45, 4.48, somewhere in there in the morning. Uh, I've been up for about an hour, and usually my clock is pretty early. It's always been that way when I'm up like this and it's dark out. I have the windows in my studio open a little bit, and I can see the, a few doors down. The neighbor has Christmas lights out. It's a very cheery thing on a cold morning. The coffee doesn't hurt either. And um, I think about how often I've been up so early in my life. My mom used to say I was up at the crack of dawn. And I have these great memories of being awake so early in the morning as just a little boy uh, watching cartoons. You know, there was a time when the television went off at midnight, didn't start again until 6 a.m. Are you with me? And I would remember just laying there at night and the national anthem would play and then they'd sign off until tomorrow. The next morning, the national anthem would play at six o'clock and we were back to the races and boy, have things changed since then. But being up this early is clarity for me. And I'm just starting to move into a book project uh, that is near and dear to my heart, which I'll talk about over the next few months as it progresses, hopefully. Uh, these things take on a life of their own. I'm really nothing more than the scribe or the conduit. I, I have this deep knowing that every book I've worked on, my own books, three of my own, uh, and, and this would be number seven for other people who have a story to tell. Uh, some of them are just revisions on my part. There are very, very good writers out there that have come to me and I help them kind of craft and hone and you know, shape it and fold it and spindle and mutilate and move it around and get it to where we think it needs to be. And then there are there are other books that I've written from scratch for people, like uh, Trudy Groning with her book, uh, A Matter of Grace. And um, this particular book I'm working now um, is, is from scratch. So it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of energy and focus and clarity and perspective is everything. And so I can always tell when the book thing is starting to take over a little bit on me because it, it literally gets me out of bed early. I have, don't have an alarm. I haven't used an alarm in ever, I don't think. And... These mornings where it's quiet and dark, uh, everything is, is moved out of the way to some greater or lesser degree. It allows me to connect with, I think, the content. Like somewhere there's a cloud with all, all the answers I need and the book is already written. I just have to tap into it and be diligent and disciplined enough to sit down and go through the process. And it's always different. Every single one of them is different. There are some similarities like this up early thing. And there is this whole thought about getting out of the way. It's, it's, uh, it's a little hard to explain, but as I've kind of joked before, I'm really not qualified on paper to do much of what I do. 
I haven't taken a journalism class in my whole life. I've, I've did take typing when I was in high school, which I had no idea back then that it would be something I needed. Uh, but it has, uh, I could have never even imagined when I was in high school taking typing class that one day I'd sit at a computer, my own computer and be able to do this. I think every English teacher I've ever had would really be surprised at what I do for uh, this, this kind of this side job thing that's, that's become part of my life. And of course, all the speaking I've done and the, the radio work is, uh, is still paramount because I'm doing this podcast and I do a show on Sundays with Jennifer Weigel called John and Jen that airs in Washington, D.C. and around the world. And I also do this music show, which I have so much fun with because it is such a diversion from talking. I mean, in between the songs, I, I try to go back behind the scenes and the liner notes and the deep tracks on things and how these songs are written and who the artists are and things like that. But I'm not a disc jockey and I would never earn a living, I don't think. But I will tell you um, that this past week, uh, my good friend Dan Mason, who uh, subscribes to this podcast, he was the former president and CEO of CBS Radio. He is a uh, he's a disc jockey. He's a guy who came up through the ranks. He knows what it's like to have to clean that needle. He knows what it feels like to drop it on that vinyl and just the right track. And he knows how to pull the songs together. He cut his teeth uh, being a disc jockey and worked his way from that all the way up to the top chair at CBS. I have great respect for Dan. And we've been friends for a long time. It's a really interesting story, which I'll condense here, how we met. Um, in 2009, I was still at Harpo Radio, OP Radio as we call it, OR, and I was doing a show on Saturdays while I was producing all the other shows uh, for the channel that I had. So it was Dr. Oz and Gene Chatsky and Bob Green and occasionally Nate Berkus. And, you know, we had attempted something back then that no one had ever done, which was taking this, at that time, uh, Oprah Winfrey was the biggest brand in the world. And so along came Sirius XM, which was, uh, now it's just Sirius, but they were two separate companies back then. And so XM was in battle for getting talent. And so XM was able to uh, convince Miss Winfrey to uh, to do radio, which means you have to build a team. You have to build something out of nothing. It did literally nothing existed. And so back then, John Guerin was our general manager, and he's the one who assembled the talent that uh, that built this out. We call it the Magnificent Seven because there were seven of us, all with varying backgrounds and uh, experiences and aptitudes to bring together to make this thing work. And it was quite a quite a thing. I. I I've done some great work in my life. That's, that's such a memorable time in my life for a lot of obvious reasons. You get a chance to, to work with Oprah for a few years and observe her in the world and how she moves and what she does and the impact that she has on people's lives. And then there was the great satisfaction of working with a team that knew exactly what was going on. I mean, just picture it. Okay, here, just build this. And by the way, it's the biggest brand in the world. So what do you do with that, right? And so they already had the talent lined up for the most part, as I mentioned those names, and uh, Gail King, who's gone on to be on CBS uh, Morning News, and uh, Marianne Williamson, and uh, there was a couple other in the mix, uh, Dr. Maya Angelou, the late, great Dr. Maya Angelou, and of course, Miss Winfrey had her own show, and sometimes I think they did cross things with Gail King. But anyway, there's a lot going on, a lot of moving parts. And one of the most difficult things for me to do was to leave my daily radio show that I built from scratch, in, in uh, Michigan, Upper Peninsula, Michigan. I started in 1997, and this didn't roll around till like 04 when I first met with Harpo about the concept, and it wasn't until 06 that it actually came around. So I had built a pretty good living, quite frankly, and, and a, a pretty good following, and 
a pretty good audience and all the things that go with that. And to leave that to do this was, was daunting and challenging and exhilarating all at the same time. And I couldn't be on the air like I was. What they needed me to do was coach. What they needed me to do was get Dr. Oz to become some sort of a personality because quite frankly, back then he didn't have one. And whether your politics are left or right to me doesn't really matter in my life. It really doesn't. It should, it just doesn't. I've never seen Democrat or Republican on a headstone so I could give a shit how you vote or what your beliefs are. If you're a good human being and you treat me well and I can treat you well, we can get along. That's like the last thing on my list of how I determine the people I spend time with. And Oz was a great challenge for me because we're a lot alike, like a couple of rhinos going at it head to head. But we needed that to make the thing work. And then, of course, Gene Chatsky, who is like my America's sweetheart uh, when she was with the NBC on the Today Show, was the media maven for money. And Jeannie's just a pro. And so everybody around had their thing. And we had so many great team members. But because I couldn't be on the air right away, my ego took a bit of a hit. Now, they were paying me a crap ton of money. You know, I was thinking about this the other day because I've been, um, it's been brought up that I say shit a lot on this show. I do. But in, in Chicago, shit's like saying yes. And I don't mean it to offend anybody, but it's just, it's always been part of my verbiage. And there's so many ways to use it. You know, my dad used to say, the only difference between shit and spaghetti is who cooks it. <laughs> so it was never a derogatory thing. It's just a thing. So anyway, in all of that, um, the, the, the whole build out of that allowed me to finally uh, get a show back on the air. And Miss Winfrey came to me one day and said, you know, I kind of really didn't realize how much of a big deal you were. I'm like, okay, thanks for buttering the bread, sister. But they gave me a show and, and I was doing some other things, uh, smaller one minute versions of things that I did called Power Thoughts. And so I was doing the show on Saturdays and I would tape it like Wednesday or Thursday. And the great Katie Gibson was my uh, producer. It was interesting because I had hired Katie about a year and a half earlier. And she came, like she was working at Harpo on, I don't even know what she was doing over there. She somehow was on the other side of the street and there was an opening in radio. We needed somebody on my team. And Katie didn't have the radio pedigree that a lot of people I interviewed did, but she had something different. She had that thing. She had that fire. She had that want. She had that willingness. She had that go get it thing, you know? And I know that so much overcomes a lot of the stuff. You can teach anybody just about anything, but you got to have that burn inside. You got to have that willingness to want to make it work. And she had that. So anyway, she came out as a production assistant, but eventually I had her be the producer of my show and we had a lot of fun doing that. So one day in 2009, I believe it was late in the year, uh, Dan Mason, who I've just digressed back to, got in his wife Kathy's car to get the oil changed on a Saturday. As I recall, this is how the story went. If it's not accurate, I'll get a call from Dan after he hears this. <laughs> but he went to get the oil changed in the car. Oprah's on the radio. The Oprah channel is on the radio in Kathy's vehicle. And there I am on a Saturday morning talking. Now, he said I was talking about baseball, which could be the case. I just don't remember. Long time ago. And he tucked my name in his hip pocket and... A few years later, when CBS rolled out the Play.it format, which was podcasting, Dan reached out to me and said, you know, I know who you are and this is what I'm doing. We, I'd like you to be part of this. And I, quite frankly, I could kind of give a shit about podcasting. I thought, I'm a radio guy. This is what, I'm in the radio business. This podcasting stuff, that's, come on. 
And anyway, he uh, made me an offer I couldn't understand, and they sent me a bunch of equipment. And then I said, listen, that's not going to happen. I don't even think about broadcasting from my office. We have radio studios. This is Chicago, man. I want to be in a radio studio. So they acquiesced for uh, about a year and a half. Every Wednesday, I went and did a show on WBBM here. It was great. The studios were great. I ran into some people I know. And I had a hell of a time. But most importantly, I learned a lot. And I learned about the podcasting business and I learned about what was what works and what doesn't. Now I'm no guru in this because it's still an ongoing kind of tutorial for me every time I f- fire up the microphone, but it, it added a layer to things. And so the long and short of it is that lasted a year and a half, as I mentioned. And then, you know, Dan and I have stayed in touch and I, I, I just am so, listen, in this business, probably like a lot of businesses, but in this radio media business, people who really believe in you are few and far between. It is a dog eat dog type thing. It's who's climbing up over someone to get to the next person. You know, uh, it's, it's just the way it is. And it's a very difficult career. Uh, but there are gaps where people fill them and they say, look, this is, you have value here. Stick with this. It was the same when Roy Leonard, the late Roy Leonard, who was on WGN for, I don't know, 30 years, 35, 40 years, one of the best interviewers I've ever heard listen to me on WGN when I left Harpo. I was on for a couple of years on WGN and he was calling the, the general manager on an every other day basis saying, why are, are you not signing this guy to a long-term contract? He's from Chicago. He lives in Chicago. He knows Chicago. He's as Chicago-centric as it gets and he's a pretty good broadcaster. What else do you want? I never met Roy Leonard until much later. And when he told me this, I was kind of floored which is a good thing. I want to stay in the humble hotel as often as I can. And I thought, really? He goes, listen, kid, you just got to stay on the edges of this business because you never know what's going to happen. So I, that's true. And years after the Play Dotted thing, Dan got a hold of me and uh, said, listen, I'm doing this project with the, my radio station in D.C. It's called, uh, well, it wasn't called anything, but we came up with the idea called The Bridge where on a daily basis for a year, I was speaking with co-hosts in Beijing, China. It was a cross-cultural thing. It was also pushing the envelope because this was in 2020 to 2021. And obviously, U.S.-China relations, not the best. So I saw this as a great call to action to hold up my end of the bargain as a citizen of this country and have conversations with citizens of China and have respectful, thoughtful, um, in some ways maybe idealistic and maybe a little bit naive uh, conversations about our lives and and how we how do we build this bridge between us and not just us but any everybody in the world how do you do that and most of talk radio here in the states is that I've said this to my co-hosts over there who are just top-notch professionals top-notch you know it's filled with people who know everything about everything but haven't done anything but they talk like they do it's it's astonishing to me you know the neighborhood I came from if you BS that much, you just get your teeth pushed in. And so here, if you BS a lot and you get a lot of people to listen to your BS, they give you a lot of money and you're called a great host. I just don't get it. Anyway, that all came and went. We had a great time with the bridge. And now another piece of my life where I've been doing these shows in Washington and I've stayed, you know, the podcast, this is what, five years of the podcast now, four and a half, five years of this particular outing. But those shows in Washington that we're doing currently, has me still in the radio world, keeping my foot in the water, as it were, staying a little bit relevant when you feel not very relevant at times. 
And listen, let me just say this real quick here. Uh, I had zero idea what I'm going to talk about this morning. I just knew there was something in there. And what I'm talking about really isn't what I thought I was going to be talking about. But apparently this is what needs to come out. So I appreciate your patience with all this. Maybe there's something in here for you that you can you can use in, in your own life. Otherwise, I'm just bloviating, speculating, and verbally defecating, which can happen at some time. You've been on the radio as long as I have, and filling airtime, you know how to do that. So I've always felt, especially in the evolution of my radio career, that I'm not done yet. You know, I'll be 64 at the end of this month, but in radio terms, I'm a spring chicken. The voice still works. I'm still in the gym four days a week. I think in some ways uh, my voice has gotten better over the years. I've learned more about the medium. I'm really kind of coming into the sweet spot. And while I was all about the piss and vinegar when I started this back when I was in my 30s, um, it's just refined itself over time. The fact that I'm sitting here going on now 10 minutes after 5 in the morning, Chicago time, and, and doing this alone, uh, tells me that I'm not alone in so many different ways. I've always seen this career that I have as a calling and whatever helps me do this is what I'm beholden to and it makes it work. And I, I just don't think it's done yet. You know, I'm at the age where a lot of my friends are retired. I can't imagine stop doing what I do, writing books with people, helping tell their stories, doing these podcasts, doing radio shows, I don't do as much speaking as I used to. The pandemic changed a little bit of that. And sometimes I feel like, why would I go out and fly around the world? You can just turn the microphone on. I mean, it's not as much fun sometimes as flying to Trinidad, but it, it's still because of technology, I can sit here in my studio in the dark with coffee in the cold and talk to people in Trinidad. I mean, that's amazing to me. I don't take it lightly. The responsibility or the ability I, to respond to the, the challenges and changes of life that I could use this microphone to maybe push some of that back. I don't take that late. I don't take myself very serious, but I take that shit serious. And so this whole process is rolling around. I'm getting to a point here in a second. Hang with me. And so in this business, you need somebody at times to talk for you. I've had an agent back in 1998, uh, Todd Musburger, Brent Musburger, the sportscaster's brother. He was a major player at that time in the media. Uh, Phil Jackson from the Chicago Bulls, the coach of the Bulls, was one of his major clients. And about everybody else that, that I could think of that had done any major work in the media, uh, Todd Musburger was their agent. And Bill Curtis, my friend, who uh, has the best voice on the planet next to James Earl Jones and mm, maybe Keith David, the guy that uh, used to do the Navy commercials with the voiceover, Navy. It's not just a job. It's an adventure. I can't do a very good Keith David. But anyway, I did a show with Bill Curtis. And I had to send a tape of the show to his office because he was on A&E big time at that time. And they have to review everything. And a woman in his office named Joan Dry. I hope Joan's doing well these days. Don't know where she's at. She listened to the tape and she calls me in Michigan and says, who are you? <laughs> well, what do you mean? And so she went on to talk about how we had this, it's a conversation she heard on the tape that she's never heard on radio because radio for the most part is politics and sports and religion. There's your big tree, politics, sports, and religion. If you're not in one of those categories, you're kind of somewhere in the middle. And I don't fit any one of those per se. And she was just, there's two men talking intelligently. What a concept. That's what I thought. 
She got a hold of Todd Musburger, who was a friend of her husband's, sent him the tape. Long and short of it, I signed a three-year contract and my world changed. Uh, I never planned on it. And usually the things that happen in my life, I don't know about you, but they do for me. They come out of left field, you know, or right field. I don't want to just say left field. Maybe sometimes they come out of center field. I don't know. But they just show up. And then I get a chance to say yay or nay. Most of these books that I work on, if not all of them, just show up. And I go, okay, I get it. I'll mull it over. I'll sit with it. I'll marinate on it. And then I decide what course of action to take, if any. Some things I do totally for nothing. Like I'm just supposed to help this person. Other things I say, well, this is going to cost you 40 grand. Okay. So it goes how it goes. And in all of that, I started, kept thinking, maybe it's time again for, there's some representation that needs to take place. Even though I have accomplished a lot, it's like everything else. What have you done for me lately? And I could not remember the name of a woman that I had connected with back in 2013 via email through a mutual broadcasting friend. And we went back and forth a couple times. Apparently we had a conversation or two and, uh, that was it, 2016, 17, somewhere there was the last time there was any correspondence. And I could not think of her name for anything. I'm like, what was her name? Is there an email still? I mean, how many times have I changed my email? I don't know. So I'm going back and forth with Dan about this. And he says, yeah, you, you know, you, you're right. You know, I, we, we put together a little promo reel for Jennifer and I. We put the promo together for my shows and all this stuff. And I found her email. It was in the back of my head, it kept creeping forward, keep creeping forward, creeping forward, creeping forward. And finally it showed up. Her name is Heather. And she's in New York City at a very prestigious talent agency. And I went, looked at the email chain and sure enough, and we'd had these conversations. And I called Dan. I said, this is the person I was thinking of. She goes, I know her. <laughs> of course you do. So from there, there was a conversation this past week that I had with Heather about all of what I just barfed up here for all of you. And she made a comment that floored me, quite frankly, going back to the thought that music is not something that I am known for. I've always used music in the shows that I've done, but I'm not known for that. I'm not, I'm not a disc jockey, not a top 40 guy. I don't, I don't have, I've never done any of that stuff. It's only been the last year really that, that I've done this on the air. 10 years in a row before that, every Sunday morning on Facebook, I would prepare something called Sacred Sunday Songs. And I would put up a list of 10 songs that I thought could help people, pretty much. And then I'd go back behind the scenes and tell how that it happened and what have you. And it all came out of a difficult time in my life. I was going through a divorce and I was alone in my house and it was too quiet. And I was really kind of new to YouTube back then. This would have been 2011. And to find a couple songs and artists that I enjoyed and then to put them on the very same computer I used to do this show, which is kind of strange but wonderful at the same time. It, I tap it well. I thank it for its service because I spend more time with this machine than I do with most humans. But I felt better. It was really that simple. And so maybe the next week or so I, on a Sunday morning, I put up a couple songs and said, enjoy this. And people, oh, I love that song. and this Well, it went on like a lot of things I do, almost overkill. I just don't get off the horse until it's got no legs left. Um, and for, I don't know, 594 Sundays in a row, didn't miss any, uh, I put up sacred Sunday songs. And in some ways that prepared me to go into radio. And I've always felt like I wanted to do that. Again, it's not so much about me 
being a digital jockey. It's really more about the energy of the music. The show, the Tao of music, is built on the work of my friend, Dr. John Ortiz, who passed away about 10 years ago. He was a frequent guest on my show. He wrote a book called The Tao of Music. He taught a course in, I think at Pitt, maybe? Maybe. Called The Tao of Music. And John's whole premise was is that music, A, is, of course, the universal language, and B, it is an energetic force in our lives that can change things. I mean, you can be having a total shit day and your favorite song comes on the radio and you sit in the car until it's done. That's powerful stuff. And then how did that happen? What is this artist you know, involved? How did that happen? And, and who wrote the song? And what, what are the ups and downs that made it get where it was at? And that stuff just fascinates me because there's so much out there. And radio's tough, but music's an even tougher business. I mean, if you can earn a living as a musician... Every hat in my office here is off to you. And I got a lot of hats on the wall. Every one of them is off to you because it's difficult to get that done. But they're living their calling. They're living their dream, so to speak. They're living what they came here to do. And you got to respect that. I don't understand all music and a lot of it I don't get. That's okay. But these people are still doing what they came to the world to do, in my opinion. So when it was time to transition over to something with music, you know, the bridge ran its course. We did it for a year. It was fantastic. I still stay in touch with my co-hosts in China and, and I wish them well with all that's going on there. We go back and forth a little bit every other week or two, but it was an easy transition for me in some ways because I had done all the prep work for 10 years. I had a huge library of music. So when the bridge ended, Dan says, what else do you want to do? And I'm like, how about this show? So it's been a great ride for me in the respect that it, at my age, after doing radio one way pretty much for decades, I have an opportunity to go in a whole nother direction and learn things about my talent, my abilities that I never thought. I'm a production rat. I enjoy producing the shows, the actual digital editing, as much as I do hosting them, which I don't think a lot of hosts do. I've worked with men and women who do their radio thing and they're out the door and then you got the PA sitting there cleaning up everything to make them sound brilliant. I, I have always had a hard time d not doing that. Like, let me just go fix this stuff. So whether I was producing the shows or hosting the shows, to me, it's all the same. So this radio show has gone well. And I was talking with Heather this past week, and she said along the lines that somehow, in some way, shape, or form, I remind her of a former client of theirs, a fellow named Casey Kasem. And I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I can't even imagine my name and Casey's name in the same on the same page or even in the same book. This is a guy who's a legend. If you ever heard America's Top 40, Casey Kasem, that's the guy. So whatever she heard, whether it's the behind-the-scenes stuff or the delivery, I don't know. But that floored me as much as it was when I found out that Roy Leonard was calling the general manager at WGN saying, sign this guy to a long-term contract. Those things floor me. I'm simply doing what, what I think I'm supposed to do. And when it's recognized or acknowledged outside of my mind, I still, wait, what? What are you talking about? My best grades in school were lunch and gym. I mean, you're going to, what? So that conversation uh, really had an effect on me this past week for a couple of reasons. One is, as I mentioned, I've been doing this a long time. I don't know, 30, 40,000 hours of radio and production and all that goes around with it. I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in. and uh, the, the, uh, It's just endless. 
And yet here there is a recognition from someone that I have great respect for because of their stance in the business that has made a comparison to someone who was an icon in the business. And all that tells me is I'm doing the right thing. Doesn't mean I'm as good as Casey Kasem or I don't get that. What I get is I'm doing the right thing. It was a stamp of validation that this was the right move. That's the number one thing. The second thing is it also helps me thank my friend John who passed away. John Ortiz was a great human being and he just loved music. And I wish he'd been around to see this and to hear this. There were a few shows I did back in the day where uh, we had his class piped into my show in Michigan and vice versa. And he, they would play music and make commentary. We'd go back and forth. I really got to find some of those tapes. Only got four million to go through. But the dial music thing was so profound to me back then. So, and when it came time to create this music show, I couldn't think of anything other than da Dao of music, that it's the energetic force. As you hear the open of the show, if you listen, and you should, there's no reason you should. Tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Central, www.newworldradionetwork.com. And just go to the program schedule, go to Sunday, and find my name and click listen live in the top right corner. You may have to jump through a couple of hoops, but it's the internet, so what? You know how to do it. And in the open, Linda Yu, the... the uh, award-winning news anchor here in Chicago did the open for me. And I wrote the open, of course, but she does the, a great voiceover. And she says, it is, the, it is the energy that holds our lives together. It's the energy between the notes of our lives that is like binding material. Look, Christy McVie passed away this last Wednesday and the ripple effect from her death and the outpouring from people is profound. Maybe even more than when she was alive, right? She was 79 years young and... As I always mention with people of name and note, and even when people are not of name and note, and you may only know them, I don't give a crap about their cause of death. What I care about is their cause in life. And Christy McVie is one of these people who en enhanced the lives of millions of people around the world for decades. That's incredible, all because of 12 notes put in a certain way and arranged a certain way. Amazing to me. Charlie Daniels would say, we may not agree on football. We may not agree on religion. We not, may not agree on a lot of things. In politics, for sure. But you get the right 12 notes together, you can get everybody dancing. And that's really the focus of everything I've ever done. Not always with music, conversation, what have you. But now music has been added to the deal. So this show, I'm being very diligent as I can to stay at 30 minutes because in talk radio long form, I've done three hours a day, five days a week with my eyes closed, but my mouth open. Uh, keeping that in mind, uh, I just wanted to close up with a song that I use pretty much every day as a reminder that you don't have to know where it's all going. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to know where you've been sometimes, but you do have to know that there's something bigger moving in your life if you allow for that. Like when I work on these books, again, my fingers are moving but it, this is coming from somewhere else and I sit with it and I sit with it and I sit with it until it shows up. The muse shows up on so many different levels. And so where words fail, music speaks. And as many times I've had amazing things happen in my life that when I was out of the way, the way made itself known, I still get in the way sometimes. And then I listen to this song and I remind myself to just get out of the way. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your time today. I appreciate the subscribers. You folks have been with me for so long and the new ones that have come on board. Thank you so much for making this possible. Until next time, be well, safe travels. Keep the faith.
Transform. 